0: You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, and get started. And, um, and to surprise Ovi, uh, we're going to talk about uh, none of the options that I talked to him about. So <laughs> there was a couple... <laughs> There's a couple things I, uh, I was really thinking about doing for the standalone, and, uh, and I, I'm keeping like, I, I call it a parking lot, so there's, there's these ideas where, oh, that's a good idea, and I put it in my parking lot, and then I can just pull the sermon out when there's a standalone. So that, that list is growing, that parking lot's getting bigger, um, mainly because I never get around to preaching them, because stuff like this happens, where I'm like, oh, this would be a good one, this would be a good one, and then God kind of lays it on my heart to do something totally different, and nothing ever gets cleared out, so... Um, yeah, so today uh, we are going to be talking about um, the new covenant, um, and uh, and so kind of the the framework that I want us to think about is uh, going from a new covenant to a new creation. So from a new covenant to a new creation, um, and, uh, and this this is a it's a, it's a really interesting topic, and and man, I I just want to preface this uh, this could we just got done with Daniel, but this could be its own like twelve week series. Um, and we're going to try to cram as much as we can into uh, into this very short period. But um, yeah, so this is, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. And again, um, just as way of reminder or recap, uh, we just got done with Daniel. And again, there's 12 chapters in Daniel, and we took a chapter a week. So we just finished Daniel, but three weeks from now, we're actually going to be starting James, just like Ovi said. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> if you thought Daniel was complex or theologically complicated, uh, James is going to present us with just as many theological complications as well. So uh, it's kind of one of those uh, out of the pan into the fire type situations um, where it's just going to be, it's going to be theologically complicated, but just in a different way. Um, and uh, and what, I, what I really want to do is, um, is actually just kind of take today to actually bridge Daniel and James. So that, that's what we're actually going to be doing, is, um, is we're actually going to be bridging the gap between Daniel and James. And that might seem odd, because they seem pretty disparate from each other, um, but they're really not. Uh, when we really take into consideration the, the major theme or the continual thread of the New Covenant, um, Daniel and understanding the New Covenant is actually radically important to understanding James. Um, so we're going to try to make, those, uh, make that connection today. But a little bit of a historical context, let's take a step back Uh, when we talk about covenants, when we talk about specifically the new covenant. uh, I want us to zero in on a specific period of time in Israel's history um, and uh, and just give us a little bit of context, uh, at least historical context. So if you remember uh, the nation of Israel, uh, it was actually split into two. So there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, they disobeyed God pretty early and they got wiped out pretty early Um, But the southern kingdom, they were able to prolong their existence uh, for a little bit of time, and uh, just by worshiping God and staying committed to him. However, that also didn't last very long. So eventually, they began to worship other gods, uh, they began to sell themselves out to other nations, so on and so forth. And uh, eventually, it culminated in this point where Babylon was moving in and was about to take over Israel. Uh, enter this individual by the name of jeremiah uh he was prophesying at this time to the southern kingdom and uh basically his ministry started and god told him he was like here's the deal i have a job for you jeremiah uh i I need you to preach my message for the rest of your days and here's the catch no one's gonna listen to you you win and jeremiah's like i guess like but what do you say no to god like i'm I'll just do my best, right? And I'm going to be faithful to what he's given to me. So Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was responsible for the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations uh, because he was lamenting over the coming destruction of Israel. So uh, that's Jeremiah. Jeremiah, again, uh, most of his books are just either mourning over the destruction of Israel or talking about the destruction of Israel. Um, Shortly after Jeremiah's ministry, uh, Babylon moves in, They conquer Israel. Surprise, surprise, and uh, and then they deport um, uh, an individual by the name of Daniel. Okay, we just talked. We just spent twelve weeks talking about that story. Okay, there's another individual in the mix at that time, uh, and his name was Ezekiel. So Ezekiel and Daniel, they were contemporaries. They were they were ministering and prophesying at the same time as each other. Um, So if you're ever interested in an interesting Bible study, reading Ezekiel and Daniel together is very interesting trying to consider how God is speaking to humanity from different perspectives at the same time. So it's a very interesting study. Uh, There's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of different perspectives uh, on things. So those three individuals are really going to play a really critical role at this time period. Again, we're we're zeroing it on this time period. Uh, We have Jeremiah, who's prophesying the destruction of Israel. Uh, And then we have Ezekiel, uh, talking about uh, Israel's condition uh, and, uh, and a future redemption. And then you have Daniel talking about the history of all mankind and eventually this establishment of, a never, of, a, of an everlasting kingdom um, and, uh, and kind of Jewish, uh, Jewish history in the, into the future. So the reason why this is so important is because Jeremiah, when he was prophesying, he introduces this new concept. It's brand new in history at this point. And it's this concept of a new covenant, a new covenant. And what I'd like to do is actually just read Jeremiah 31, 31. And again, this is kind of the first time that this is expressed. So Jeremiah, he's, he's all doom and gloom, right? And in fact, he's thrown in prison because of that. Uh, the king actually asked him, he's like, why are you always prophesying bad news? And he's just like, because bad news is coming. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And, uh, and so uh, that's what makes this passage stand out. Is there so much bad news? And then Jeremiah 31 comes in and it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them uh, by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it in their hearts, on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach again, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin, I will no longer remember. Let's go ahead and pray and and then we'll start digging into things. Dear God, I just, uh, I just want to thank you for, first of all, just another opportunity for us to, uh, to get together, and, um, and as I like to say, just, just kind of do church with each other. Um, it's, uh, it's always remarkable to just consider how you've moved so many broken people into, um, into this new covenant that we'll talk about and just the vehicles in which you you redeem us and are redeeming us. And we just thank you for your Christ and, uh, and just giving us a, a glimpse into the future and a glimpse of our hope that we, seem, we see dimly, but still so shocking. We love you and just ask that you, you just focus us today as we, as we read your texts um, and just open our hearts and our minds uh, to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Alright, so, we're talking about covenants, uh, we're talking about Jeremiah, he's, he's uh, introducing this new covenant, um, and that uh, and might seem like good news, right? New covenant, cool, All right? We get, we get this new covenant, and, uh, and things are changing. However, there, there is this complexity with this, um, and there, there's, some of this is actually present in that passage. If you keep reading, this passage is a lot bigger, the new covenant passage is a lot bigger, but I had to cut it off somewhere, so... Um, but yeah, there's, there's actually a lot of complexity here where there is this question of, wait, 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 a new covenant, like, cool, so you're going to write the law on our hearts, we're, you're going to do all this stuff for us, but, but what about the old covenant? Like, you can't break your promises, God. You, you can't just say, like, whoops, it's not working out, guys. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a process here. And, uh, and so there, there actually is this contention here where I think we, uh, from the outside reading this passage, we just see it as, as all good news. Um, and it is good news, especially to the Jews at that time, but there is some complexity here, right? And there's, there's actually a little bit of, but wait. Right? We've dedicated ourselves to this old, uh, this old covenant. We've dedicated ourselves to this lifestyle, uh, and you're just going to make it brand new. There, there's complexity. And so what... Um, what I'd like us to do is we actually need to back up and just talk about covenants for a moment. Because if God's introducing a new covenant, right, and he's doing away the old covenant, we really need to ask ourselves, well, which covenant? Because God has introduced a lot, right? There's, a, there's the edemic uh, covenant. So there was a covenant made to Adam and Eve. Um, and God told him, listen, I'm going to bring a seed from the woman and he's going to crush or bruise the head of the, uh, of the serpent and he's going uh, to bruise, the serpent's going to bruise the heel of the seed. Right, there's, there's this promise that's given to Adam and Eve. And then there's a, there's a covenant made to Noah, right? After, uh, after the flood, uh, God promises Noah, like, listen, I, I promise, uh, and I promise to all mankind, I will never destroy the world uh, with water again. I'm going to set the rainbow in the sky as proof or as a sign or a seal of that covenant. It was also in that covenant that God commanded Noah and his family to eat animals. So, sorry, vegans, but... Um, yeah. When I eat a steak, I'm just worshiping God. So, that's, uh, I'm just following his command, and it's nothing I can do. So, that, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, if you're vegan, I didn't mean to offend you. But, that, <laughs> But yeah, that was the, the Noahic covenant, uh, is, uh, is that God promises that he will not destroy the world again uh, with water. Uh, and then after that, uh, we get the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, God promises Abraham Uh, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be as many as stars in the sky or sand in the seashore. Uh, And there's a lot of irony in that story. Avram or Abram was, that just means father, right? And so his name is dad and he doesn't have kids, right? There's a lot of irony there. And then God's like, listen, I'm gonna change your name. And Abraham's like, finally, right? I'm not gonna have this name anymore. And he's like, I'm gonna change your name to Avraham, which is son of, or like father of a multitude. And Abram's like, it's not better. So that's, <laughs> but that, that's, that's kind of this situation where there's this covenant with Abram uh, where he's going, to, he's going to do this, right? Uh, and up until this point, all these covenants, God just enters these covenants totally devoid of what humans are doing, right? He tells Adam, I promise I'm going to do this. What does Adam have to do? Nothing. I promise Noah I won't do this again. What does Noah have to do to keep the end of the deal? nothing. And then he tells Abraham, he's like, I'm going to make this this covenant with you. And Abraham's like, let's do it, right? I'll enter the covenant with you. And as Abraham's about to enter into the covenant, God causes him to pass out. And then God enters into the covenant all on his own, right? And that was to Abraham's benefit because God knew Abraham was just going to mess it up. And again, we we look at history and Abraham was not the best, um, I guess, he made some bad judgment calls. We'll put it that way and move on. But that's, yeah, so that, that was kind of Abram, Abram's situation, is God entered into the covenant without Abraham, right? And so all of these covenants were conditioned on God and God alone. But then we get to the Mosaic covenant. In this covenant, uh, God cut. he makes a deal. He cuts a covenant, or he cuts a deal with the nation of Israel. He's like, all right, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to make this covenant. You guys follow my law perfectly, right? And then you're subject to covenant blessings, so, like, and the Bible kind of depicts it this way. It's figs the size of your head, right? Your, uh, your crops are going to have so much food, you're not going to know what to do with it. Your calves and your sheep, uh, they're going to make so many babies, you can't eat all of it. Uh, your enemies will be far, far away. Um, they'll be scared of you anyways. Other nations around you are going to be begging you to take their money. Like, please take my money. It's just, you're going to be rich and it's going to be amazing, right? Covenant blessings. However, there's covenant curses that go along with us. If you do not follow my law, you will be subject to covenant curses. And those would include uh, things like famine, drought, uh, pestilence, locusts, um, people warring on your land, people warring with you, uh, and then also just uh, ultimately being driven out of the land. Right? You'll just be deported and just taken off into foreign lands. And so these are the covenant curses. Uh, Also, um, I don't know if anyone has has heard of this. Um, This is an aside, so let's just bracket this. Uh, they actually found some covenant curse tablets uh, in Israel. Has anyone heard of this? Like it was like earlier this year. Um, they, uh, If you don't know, uh, the nation of Israel uh, with Joshua, they entered into the land uh, through this valley, and on each side, there were priests. One side, uh, they were act- the priests were actually reading or listing off the covenant blessings over Israel as they passed in, right? Almost like walking through into a covenant. Uh, but then on the other side, the priests were also reading the covenant curses over Israel. So Israel was entering into the promised land under the curses and the blessings, right? Uh, around that area, uh, there was an ex- excavation and uh, they were going through what they found and they actually found a tablet. Um, and on the t- in the tablet, uh, they actually found it was covenant curses and the name of Yahweh was listed. The reason why that was actually pretty radical, uh, they're arguing that this might be as big as Dead Sea Scrolls type discovery. Uh, The reason why is that secular scholarship has made fun of uh, the Old Testament scholars for a long, long time, uh, because they've concluded that uh, at the time of the Exodus, or the time that Israel was supposedly supposed to go into the land, uh, the Hebrew language wasn't a written language at that time. So how did they get their law? Where did Genesis come from? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Hebrew wasn't a written language yet. Also, as best as we can tell, it seems like these Hebrews, or whoever this people group was, they were worshipping a whole bunch of gods, so there's no indication that they actually worshipped Yahweh. right? So, Hebrew wasn't a written language, and they, it's not even clear that they were worshipping Yahweh. Well, now we found a covenant curse, where the Hebrew language was written at the time that they would have walked into the land, around that area where the Bible says, and it lists the name Yahweh. So, Uh, Yeah, if you're interested look into it. They're still trying to decipher like the the implications of what this all means Um, But uh, but yeah, like I said, they're they're arguing that this could be as big as Dead Sea Scroll type discovery anyway has nothing to do with what we're doing now, but Covenant curses so that's uh, that's kind of the the context is the Mosaic Covenant was a covenant that actually had uh, actually had conditions attached to the covenant, right? Um, and every covenant that i would listed so far, uh, they all started with some kind of death. Death is a natural uh, component to cutting a covenant. Um, like, for example, uh, Adam and Eve, an animal had to be killed in order for them to be clothed with animal skins. Um, with the Noahic covenant, I mean, everyone died, so there's a lot of death in that one. Uh, and then uh, even the uh, uh, um, Abrahamic covenant, uh, animals had to be cut in two and laid, laid out, and then God passed through the death, right? The, the cut animals. So with the Mosaic Covenant, uh, also what happened is once the covenant was made with Israel, um, some ox were killed and the blood was splattered on the people and on the, uh, on the stone tablets and on the mountain. And so it was death that actually inaugurated uh, the, uh, the covenant. And the reason why that's important is there's a couple different images here that are very important. To start a covenant, death needs to be at place, okay? However, there's also a component to covenants uh, where it could also be translated as like a will. So once someone dies, then the covenant goes into place. Does that make sense? So there's both of those aspects, and and they kind of play on each other also, where sometimes the, the death that actually initiates the uh, the covenant is, it images the death that comes or the way the covenant is enacted once I'm actually passed away, okay? So both of those kind of play into each other. It's not necessarily one or the other. It's actually both, right? So a death inaugurates the covenant, but it also sets it in stone. Once so, once someone dies, it's like a will, and that that covenant can't be altered in any way because now it's set in stone. That person is gone, and the will is in play, Okay? So the reason why that's important is because we come to Jeremiah 31. And we come to this place where God's enacting a new covenant. And it begs this question: what about the old one? You can't just say it doesn't work anymore, right? Like someone would have to die. Either God has to die or the nation of Israel has to die. So how are you making a new covenant with the nation of Israel when you can't end the old covenant? Like that it it just doesn't work that way. Someone has to die in order to get out of the covenant, or to satisfy or fulfill the covenant. And so God, and that's, that's kind of the uncomfortable bit about this, and that God even says, uh, listen, this, this is the new covenant, okay? I will put my law in them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and this is a complete reversal of what the Old Covenant was. The Old Covenant was write the law on your, door, on your doorposts, write it uh, on your foreheads, write it on your arms, mumble it as you walk throughout your streets, tell it to your neighbors, tell it to your friends, tell it to your kids, t- say it when you wake up, say it when you're going to sleep. Uh, it's, it's almost like a song that's stuck in your head. It's just you're constantly mumbling it. It's always in your brain. Remember, remember, remember. Put it everywhere. And then God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant, and instead of putting it everywhere, I'm going to put it in here. I'm going to put it in you. And it's a it's radical reversal where God no longer is... Not, he, he's, he's communicating to them that an external following of the law won't matter in the new covenant. What matters is what's inside. It's going to be in you. It's going to shape your intentions, your thoughts, your desires. Everything inside of you, it's going to be a part of your DNA. You're going to want to follow the law, and the law will be on your hearts. That's this new covenant. And that's this really uncomfortable, like, Wow, that sounds amazing. I, I, I should be able to follow the law. And the people of Israel at this point, they've just never been able to do that. And so finally they get the opportunity to do that. However, it comes with this fear of, but who's going to die? How do we get out of the old covenant? That sounds great, God, but what, like you can't just change the game. And, and that, that creates this, this uncomfortableness in this situation um, but, and then he goes on and he says, uh, you're not even going to have to teach the law to your neighbors or your friends. Nothing external. It's all going to be inside of all of you. And what's also more interesting is, uh, is a guy by the name of Ezekiel. We already talked about him. He also talks about this. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. It says, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and I will bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful to follow my ordinances. And again, what's what's interesting about this is, is again, those three characters that we looked at is Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And what is Daniel talking about? He's talking about this everlasting kingdom, right? This one, like a son of man, he comes and he rules forever, and his kingdom never goes away, and he perfectly communes with with God's people and with God himself. God and God's people perfectly commune with each other, and they perfectly relate to each other. How is that possible? We've tried that so many times. How is it possible that there's an everlasting kingdom? How is it possible that the Son of Man comes and he sets up this everlasting kingdom and we commune with God? And Daniel says, I don't know, talk to Ezekiel. He talked about this new heart thing. Maybe he's got that figured out. There's this new new covenant. Jeremiah talked about it. There's this new covenant coming. Well, how does it come? I don't know. But it's gonna result in this new heart. The law's gonna be in our heart. Uh, God's gonna take away this heart of stone almost like the stone tablets where law was written, he's going to take away this heart of stone and he's going to give us a new covenant, a living covenant, a covenant of flesh, something that's alive and not dead like stone. And he's going to set that in our hearts. And then what's more is he's also going to give us his spirit. And we have this spirit in us. And what does that do? Uh, Ezekiel says, I will bring about your uh, obedience says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will remove your heart of stone and flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and bring it about. I will bring it about that you will walk in my statutes. It's not going to be up to you anymore. You guys see how this is, this is actually a reversal of the old covenant. The old covenant had stipulations and God's going to say, I'm actually going to kind of pluck it out and then turn it into something like an Abrahamic covenant where it's not going to be up to you anymore. It's just going to be up to my spirit. My spirit's going to be in you, and you're going to, you're going to love to follow my statutes. And I get this question all the time uh, at, at, at school, where kids always say, how is it possible that we can be in heaven and be perfect, uh, and there's no sin, right? Either we have to turn into robots because we just do what we don't want to do, like be perfect all the time, right? And just sing kumbaya and all that stuff. Or, uh, so we have to lose our free will, or there's a possibility that sin could come back into play, right? So it's got to be one of those two options. And secret option C is what if we just have a new heart? What if we have the spirit in us? What if in the same way that we can't help ourselves from screwing up, what if God in, with our new heart, what if we just can't help ourselves but to glorify God? What if, what if we, uh, just like now, where we can think maybe dimly about what a perfect world would look like, what if in heaven we could think dimly about what sin would look like? What, what was that even like? What does that feel like? I, 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 don't, I don't want, I can't even get to it. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't even get to it. I can't even think of it. Th- this, is, this is what heaven looks like, and this is what this new covenant is getting at, is, is, man, what if you had a new heart? What if you had a heart of flesh? What if you had the Spirit of God in you? What if God caused you to walk in his statutes and his ordinances? What if it wasn't up to you? What if the old covenant was fulfilled and you didn't have to white-knuckle your salvation anymore? What if Christ brought it about in you? That's where we're going to go next is, uh, is Hebrews 9, 11 through 18. Uh, if you don't know, the... Uh, Almost the entire book of Hebrews is about this. So if you want to know more information, just read Hebrews. Uh, Also Galatians is basically all about this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time. "...having obtained eternal redemption, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant." So that, since a death has taken place for the redemption uh, of the violations that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a covenant, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when people are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood." What I want us to focus in on and where we're going next is this concept that Christ is the fulfillment of the old and he is the inauguration of the new covenant. And this is often missed. It's Christ's death. Yes, what Christ's death did is his blood, is it, he sanctifies or he atones for our sins just like in the Old Testament, uh, there were was, was sacrifices. Bulls and goats had to die in order to pay for the sins of other people, right? Supposedly. And the writer of Hebrews even talks about this. Uh, bulls and calves, they never saved anybody, right? And, but this, this is the image that, that something had to die to cover the sins of broken people. And what Christ's death offers is his blood pays for our sins. His blood cleanses us. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one that actually pays for our sins and redeems us. You guys see how he fulfills the old covenant. Almost like something had to die, someone had to die in order to end the old covenant. And again, that's exactly what Jeremiah was bringing out of the Jewish people is, that sounds like such a great covenant, a new covenant. That sounds great, but how do you get out of the old? We're stuck. God can't get out of it because he can't lie. We can't get out of it because if we do, we're all dead. And then God can't make his promise with the new Israel because there is no more Israel. How do we get out of the old? And then Christ steps into our reality. Christ, who is the fulfillment of Israel, he's born, uh, he, uh, he escapes uh, the slaughter of all the Jewish boys, right? Just like Israel. Uh, he goes in and then he escapes out of Egypt. He leaves Egypt. What happens after when he leaves Egypt as a young boy? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, just like Israel. He's tempted by Satan, and yet he's successful. And then he starts his ministry. You guys see all these images. Christ is Israel. He is the perfect Israel. He's the fulfillment of Israel. He followed the law perfectly. He did everything that Israel couldn't, and yet he died. And yet he took on covenant curses. And yet, he was a sacrifice for all the Israelites that couldn't follow. You see how someone had to die, and God can't die, so it had to be Israel. It had to be Christ. So Jesus steps into the world, and he he is the sacrifice. He's the way in which they got out of the old covenant. He fulfills the covenant. And Christ even says this I didn't come to do away the old covenant, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to fulfill it, I came to make it permanent. Remember, it's, covenant is kind of like a will. Once someone dies, it's in play, right? Once I die, all my stuff goes to my wife and my kids, right? So once Christ dies, once Israel dies, that's in effect forever. So I didn't, I didn't come to end the law. I came to make it permanent. I came to fulfill it. I came to ratify it. It's done. It's fulfilled. Can't add anything. We can't do anything more to it. We can't do anything. We can't add to it. It's finished. And that's what Christ offers, is he offers us an end or a fulfillment to the Old Testament, however, or the Old Covenant. However, a new covenant can't be inaugurated, it can't be started, it can't be pushed into play until something dies, just like all of the other covenants. So what Christ's covenant, though, though Christ's death, it ends the old covenant. It gives us a, a forgiveness of sins. It washes us clean. It gives us a new chance. And that's amazing. It reconciles us back to God. Now we can walk, uh, we can commune with God just like Eden. We get back to Eden through his death. And that's amazing. But what's more amazing is that it doesn't stop there. His death also initiates a new covenant. A new covenant. And this this new covenant is what Ezekiel was talking about and Jeremiah talking about. This new covenant gives us that new heart. It gives us this heart of flesh. It gives us this new spirit. And so Christ, yes, he ends the, uh, the old covenant. He fulfills it. He finishes it. He seals it. But he also inaugurates this new covenant, this amazing covenant that allows us to actually worship God the way that we were meant to. And and what's even more is he doesn't even just do that as a sacrifice. Hebrews talks about how he entered into the perfect tabernacle. So Christ's death, the way that he inaugurates the new covenant is that he's not just a sacrifice, he is the high priest. He's the high priest that enters into the Holy of Holies in heaven to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. So Christ is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. And then Christ in Matthew, when he looks at the temple, he says, tear this temple down in three days and I'll I'll raise it again. He's talking about his body. Christ is the temple. So you guys see how how he's just wrapping up the entire Old Testament all in himself. He is the temple. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is the nation of Israel. And more importantly, he is God. He is the initiator of the covenant. All of this is wrapped up into the person of Christ. And then what happens after his death? What happens after he atones for our sins? But he raises again. What happens when someone dies and ratifies the will and then they come back? I don't know, it's only happened once, right? But this is, this is kind of this complexity and Paul explores that a lot more. Uh, in, especially in the book of Galatians, um, but, uh, but we don't have time to, to get into all of that. Uh, but what, what's, what's remarkable and what we need to understand is that it is the person of Christ. It's the work of Christ. He fulfills the Old Testament. That's how we get out of it. And yet he inaugurates this new covenant in which we get to live and work and do the things that God wants us to do. And, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, uh, let's just read uh, the next passage, which is going to be 2 Corinthians 3. 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 5. So it says, we are, um, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of con- uh, commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in your hearts, known and read by all people, revealing yourselves that you are the letter of Christ. "...delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have toward God through Christ, not that we are adequate in ourselves, so as to consider anything as having come from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant." Not of the latter, but of the spirit, or not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What Paul's getting at, and uh, a little bit of context. Um, so he just he just rebuked the Corinthian church uh, for um, getting a little too loosey goosey with their Christian liberties. Okay, um, if you don't know the story, uh, basically someone in their congregation was actually. Uh, having an affair with his stepmom and they were basically going throughout all the Corinth going look how open we are and forgiving and worse we have so many liberties because we've been forgiven in Christ and Paul's like nah that's doesn't work like that you can't um, well you get the idea so that's, that's the context of 2 Corinthians, and he's, he's reminding the Corinthians, uh, listen, you, you cannot use your liberties as an opportunity uh, for sin. And he's reminding them, remember the new covenant. Remember what Christ afforded you. Remember, you have this new heart in you. And if you have this new heart, if you do the things of God, if this spirit is in you, then you cannot behave this way. If the spirit is in you, that gives you life, and yet you act like death. And that's what he's getting at is is what's written on you are not letters. It's not a written law. It's not the law that Israel was given. We've tried that. It doesn't work. What you've been given was a new covenant. What you've been given is a new heart, a heart of flesh, something that lives, a law that gives life. What you don't have is death. And, and, that, and so he's, he's really kind of getting into this, this whole aspect. And again, just exactly what Ezekiel said is it's you live life not because of you, but because God put a heart in you. You follow the law not because of you, but because the spirit in you. And so because of this, we can actually please God. We can do the things of God. All through the Old Testament, especially the minor prophets, uh, on repeat, God's saying, uh, "Your, your burnt offerings mean nothing to me. Why is that? Well, there's two reasons. One thing, what pleases God is, well, you wouldn't need an offering if you just didn't sin. So that would make me happy if you just stopped, right? And second of all, you're just doing these offerings just to get me on your side. Any pagan can do that. Any pagan can try to coerce their God into doing their will. That's not what I want out of you. I want you to love me just for me. That's true love. And that's what God is, that's always what he's getting at. And that's what we're given with this new heart, with this spirit. And we've talked about this before. It always begs us, I mean, there's there's this massive question of why is it that people in the church tend to be worse than people outside of the church, right? Why is a church full of hypocrites, right? Why is it that we can't seem to uh, be at, at, at least as moral as an immoral world, supposedly? And that, that's a massive question. We can't, we can't just gloss over that, right? But the fact of the matter is we've been given this new heart, but that doesn't mean that we're fully redeemed, right? And it begs this question, why? Why? Why wouldn't God just bring us into this new covenant and then just fully realize us? Why would we be left in this place? Why do we have halfway redeemed hearts where we get a new heart, we get a new spirit, and yet we're still broken? So I want to read uh, a little bit later on. It's 2 Corinthians. I'll get back to that question, by the way. I'm not just like leaving it out there for, okay. I mean, I am leaving it out there, but you know. So 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from glory to glory, or another way to translate that is from one degree of glory to a different degree of glory, just as the Lord, the spirit, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Why why do we need to know this? What we need to know is that with this new covenant, we are given freedoms. And that's the next point. The new covenant, with the new covenant comes new freedoms. With the new covenant comes new freedoms. And what we don't mean is what the second Corinthian or what the Corinthian church tried to do is, look at us, we have so many liberties, we're so free. This guy's sleeping with his stepmom. That's not what we're looking for, right? This is not an excuse for us to just let sin abound. This is not an excuse for us to do anything that we want because we're free from the old covenant. The point is, the reason why we have freedoms is so that we can enjoy life now and life abundant now. However, that life is not fully realized until our glorification and the point is, God leaves us like this. He leaves us not fully redeemed so that we can, we can reach out to a broken world. It's almost like a broken world listens to broken people. And don't, don't we see that? When, when we try to go out and we try to tell people, this is wrong, you can't do this, this is evil. And what does the world do? Shuts off. Well, who wants to hear that? It, it totally makes sense. Why wouldn't... Why wouldn't you try to shut that off? Now, if broken people tried to speak to broken people, now, now there's actually something in common, there's something to actually communicate about. right? There's something to empathize with. It's almost as if God wants us to stay halfway redeemed so that we can speak to a broken world. It's almost as if God wants us to stay in this place so that we can do some work. However, the new covenant comes with new freedoms and we need to understand what those freedoms are. It's not freedom for sin, It's freedom to do the things of God. And this is what's important. Is that when we look at the church, why is the church not as moral? The fact of the matter is, we are more moral. And that's uncomfortable to think about. It's like, are are we really? Like, I don't feel like I am. But the fact of the matter is, what what God is saying is, I'm not impressed by your burnt offerings. I'm not impressed by your obeying the feasts and the festivals. Why? Because they're not doing it for God. And what's been given to us, what this heart is, is that now we can do those things and do it for the glory of God. Right? So I, I don't lie. I'm honest. I tell the truth. I try to do all these things. Why? Just because I love God. And that's very different from someone that just tells the truth because they want something good to happen or they want themselves to feel better about themselves or they want a better life. That's all self-absorbed. That's all about them. But a person that actually does the things just to bring glory to God, that's, by definition, can only be done by a Christian. That can only be done by someone that has a spirit in them. Does that make sense? If someone doesn't love God, then they can't do the things for God. And that's what's being redeemed. That's this new heart. That's this thing that walks in their statutes, is they can... Even in the off-chance that they actually obey the ordinances and obey the statutes, they do those things just for the glory of God, and that's following the law. That's new. That's, that's, that's relegated only to Christianity. So is a church full of hypocrites? Yeah. Can the church glorify God? Yes. Can the outside world follow some arbitrary morals? Yeah, but can they glorify God by doing that? No. They cannot. They do it for themselves. But they do it for some other reason. If they were doing it for God, then they would, by definition, be Christians. And then it just validates the, um, the argument. So again, the new covenant comes with new freedoms, not freedoms to sin, but freedoms to glorify God. And then the last passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, Yet, now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come, and now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's what's radically important to this, and I started this whole idea, this whole series, or this whole sermon, I feel like it's a series, this whole sermon is predicated on this idea of how do we get from an eternal kingdom where people live in perfect communion with God forever to the book of James? How do we get there? And this is how. This is our last point. New creations Live new covenant lives. New creations live new covenant lives. What's theologically difficult about the book of James is that Paul talks about how uh, salvation is through faith alone, faith alone, faith alone, no works, faith alone. And then we get to James, and James's like, Well, it's, it's faith, works without faith uh, doesn't work. So it's gotta be works and faith. And you're like, Wait, James, what are you doing to us? Right? Paul, on repeat, it's telling us, no, it, it's not about works, but you're telling us uh, it's got to be works and faith. So which is it? And what James is getting at is, no, 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 I don't think you understand. It's it's new creations live new covenant lives. You don't obey the law. You don't do good works to be saved. You do. You obey the law. You do good works because you're saved. And how is that possible? It's, it's, almost, it's almost as if, God put a new heart in you. It's almost as if he put a new spirit in you to where you can't help but bring glory to God. It's almost as if you can't help that when you do good works, you do those good works for the glory of God, not like an outside world who does good works for themselves or to benefit themselves or for other people even. Doing good works for other people feels good, but what what if that doesn't even matter? What if doing good works only matters when you do it for God's glory? Now we're talking about a different story. New creation lives new covenant lives. So the old covenant's uh, fulfilled. We don't have to worry about it. Does that mean we can eat shellfish and eat, I don't know, uh, bacon and all this stuff? Yeah, we get to do all that stuff. Old covenant's fulfilled, right? Cool, so I guess we don't need to worry about the Ten Commandments anymore, right? Uh, And that's what God's getting at is no, you still do that and you don't even have to ask that question because you're in the new covenant. You live new covenant lives. right? The moral standards still apply and you know that because I put that spirit in you. So you don't need to follow the old, the old covenant anymore. You're right. But now in the new covenant, you just do. It's like your heart beating. You don't tell it to beat. It just follows the covenant. And that, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're looking into is new creations live new covenant lives. And what's radically important is, like I said earlier, we don't have freedoms to, do, to, to just sin. We don't have freedoms to do whatever we want. However, what we have is this ability to live in Christ's righteousness. And what's more is we actually even do the work of reconciliation. What this passage is talking about is Christ came into the world to reconcile the world to God and then Christ left and now what? That's our job. It's almost as if Christ is speaking through broken people to reconcile a broken world back to God. This is why we're still here. This is why we're not just boom, glorified into heaven, right? A student asked me that. He's like, how come we just don't get saved and we just like poof into heaven? I was like, that sounds great, but we have a job to do, right? Um, and this is, this is also this whole concept of a covenant as a will. Christ dies, which means if we're in Christ, we get his inheritance. What has Christ inherited? Everything. But what about when he was on earth? What did he inherit? Uh, betrayal, uh, misunderstanding. No one wanted to hear what he had to say. People just followed him around because they thought he was going to feed them or heal him right? That, that's what we inherit. That's what we get now. And so as a part of this, we, we need to understand that new creations live new covenant lives. What did Christ give us? What did his death, what do we inherit through his will, through his covenant, through this new covenant? We get everything that Christ gets. We get sonship. We get authority. But we don't get that on this side of eternity. We get tastes of it now. We get a new heart now. But what we get now is we get struggle. We get to struggle in a broken world just as Christ did. And so what what we're looking at is this new covenant, Uh, yes, it gives us freedoms. And yes, in Christ, uh, he fulfills the old covenant and he brings in the new covenant. That's what his death offers us. Um, And we get these new freedoms. We can do the things uh, of Christ uh, and do the things that he wants us to do, but also uh, new creation Uh, lives new covenant lives we have a job to do we have the work of reconciliation to do and as we go throughout our lives we, we cannot miss this we cannot miss that we are ambassadors for christ as though christ were making an appeal through us we need to recognize is that we don't live good lives we don't do good deeds to save us that's that's been done We do good things just to bring glory to God and to do the work of reconciliation that Christ has given to us. But we can't do that without focusing our attention and our love and all uh, all of our affections on the object and the person of our new covenant. That is Jesus Christ. So again, how do we live better lives? Just focus on Christ. Just love Christ. Learn more about him. He's done everything for us. And we have nothing without him. So, as we go throughout this week, I want us to just focus on the person of Christ. Again, he is our high priest, he is our sacrifice, he is the temple, he is the king, he's the prophet, he's God, he's everything, he's done everything for us. So, as we look for opportunities to do good works, as we look for opportunities to glorify God with our new freedoms, as we look for opportunities to live new covenant lives, Just focus on Christ and thank him for what we've been given. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.